0: I'm Michael Anthony, author, speaker, coach, mentor, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. And in this podcast, I'm going to be bringing you the best of what I understand about healing trauma, overcoming our past, and ultimately becoming the hero of our own story. This podcast is not a replacement for mental health, but instead think of it as a companion to help guide you into what is next in your life. My friend, thank you so much for being here with me. Do me a favor before we get started, hit subscribe, like, comment, leave a review, tell a friend about it, and until next time, my friend, be unbroken. Let's get into the show. Have you read my book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma? If you haven't, then now is the time because I am giving away free copies of my book, think unbroken for the rest of the year. All you have to do is go to traumahealingbook.com to get your free copy. The reality is that as I think about the world and where we are right now with things, it is more important than ever, if we are going to step onto the path of healing generational trauma together, that we do it through education. And when I wrote my book, I never expected it to become an international bestseller. I certainly didn't expect it to sell thousands and thousands of copies as it has. And the one thing that I know to be true about this experience is that the more people that read it, the more impact we can have on the world. And so I invite you to read it for free at Trauma Healing Book. I only ask that you cover the shipping and handling. And the reason is because, you know, I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a millionaire and I would go into debt if I gave everyone in the world a free copy of my book. So I'll cover the book, you cover the shipping and handling, you grab your copy at traumahealingbook.com. And I'm so excited to have you on this journey and this mission to think Unbroken. Hey, what's up Unbroken Nation? Hope that you are doing well wherever you are in the world. I am Michael Anthony, author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors' of childhood trauma, and you're listening to the Michael Unbroken Podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Ken Adolph, a certified board cardiac anesthesiologist, which, I mean, wow, the amount of effort and work that takes just to get that title, Ken. Plus, more importantly, the conversation that we're gonna be having today around ketamine therapy. I'm super excited about this one. Ken, my friend, how are you today?
3: I'm great. And thank you again for having me on, Michael. This is uh, this is going to be very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, first and foremost, before we jump in, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. So you stated that I was a cardiac anesthesiologist. That's true. I've been in practice for about 20 years here in Austin, Texas. Um, that's been my primary uh, uh, Place of of practices is, uh, is in one hospital and providing care for you know patients who are undergoing heart surgery. Um, most people would be out there asking, well, how in the world did you get connected to ketamine, and how in you know it, what what is the connection? Um, but before I get to that, I will want to you know reach out to everyone that I am a sufferer of generalized anxiety. And so from the beginning of training, I knew that this was gonna be a long journey for me because uh, the stress and the anxiety that I was fighting against, um, I felt alone. Uh, I felt silent and, and ashamed because I felt like I needed to be Superman and I needed to put a cape on and be everything for everybody at all times. And that left me uh you know again alone and not connected and so most of the time that i was in practice i felt disconnected and i felt on the outside and um part of that is my upbringing and and i'm sure that most people out there can can you know certainly identify with that that it's really i could i did not feel as though i felt like I was uh um grew up as an athlete mostly and then suddenly turned the stern of the ship into becoming uh, you know a student and and you know eventually a physician so I, I really want to make that known to everyone out there that even though wow it's a it's a wow it's also it doesn't come without uh, a certain amount of, of um, stress and from stress of course we know comes some trauma You know, related to that, although that's my perception, you know, that's my trauma perception.
0: Yeah. And and I think that holds true for so many people. I mean, not only being under the the stages in terms of under the lights, in terms of on the stage of the playing field, but also now in academics and academia and, and being deeply thrust within this thing and expectations are high. And I think about stress, anxiety. Um, and, and depression, which often tend to kind of loom within each other. And then you're often if, if you hadn't experienced anything like mine, being dissociated, and disassociated, and and kind of just having this outer body experience commonly. Um, I, I want to dive into that. But first, as we kind of head into this, what was the moment in which you, st- I think two things are going to be really important to have as a precursor of this conversation, Ken. One is, talk to me about the thing in, in which ketamine made you curious. And mm-hmm. then two, what is ketamine?
3: Okay. Um, first, I'll tell you what's ketamine and then I'll answer uh, how I became interested in it. So ketamine is actually an anesthetic, it's, you know, recognized as one of the broadly, most broadly used anesthetics. It's even used in, in veterinary medicine in the world. And so it's very important to um, keep it where it is, and you know, utilize it in a safe manner. So, it was developed uh, because in World War II, our, our veterans on the battlefield were dying of morphine overdoses. Um, it was a standard dose IM injection, meaning intramuscular injection through the pants, um, and w- with someone who was, uh, of course, gravely injured on the battlefield. And that was causing respiratory depression. So, the same thing that we're seeing now with deaths with uh, opioid epidemic that we have in this country, we see deaths related to respiratory depression. Ketamine was developed so that we did, had a safer drug in the battlefield. And so it was called the buddy drug. Uh, ketamine increases heart rate, increases blood pressure, and it does not decrease respiratory, depre- or respiratory drive. And so very safe drug because it's an analgesic and and, and does hit Uh, the opioid receptor, which so does morphine, but it hits a lot of other receptors. Um, So initially it was developed as an anesthetic and it is in its own class. It's again, it was described as a dissociative. So uh, what ketamine does is it basically allows your brain to drift off into the unconscious because you no longer have the sensation or the body sensory input that's coming to your brain. So you can literally perform you know small surgical procedures uh even in the field you know setting an arm uh that's broken shoulder that's uh dislocated so it's a lot it's and like i said very safe drug used in er's uh, uh in pediatric hospitals um, and you could imagine in veterinary uh, medicine you wouldn't want to have to control the airway of a giraffe or a horse or you know so that you want to keep them breathing so most of the time when you see that shot that's a dart that goes into a tiger that's ketamine because it it will sedate them safely and allow them to continue breathing so that's kind of ketamine in a nutshell Um, and then the connection for me is of course i'm familiar with it and the use of it uh, because it's so safe and being that it doesn't decrease heart rate or decrease blood pressure in the cardiac operating room, we need drugs that are cardiac safe. And that is a cardiac safe drug because of those things. And so if I have someone who's very ill from a from a, a heart standpoint, where their heart isn't pumping or squeezing uh, adequately, I can provide an anesthetic upfront that will allow them to, um, be anesthetized safely.
0: Can you talk about the the differentiation between ketamine in this um, medical practice styling
3: versus what I am used to growing up on the streets being Special K? Exactly. Um, So, I mean, in the operating room, we're mainly using it for uh, an anesthetic. And it's really, I mean, when you need an anesthetic, you need analgesia. You need amnesia or amnestic where you don't remember things. And you also need it in a dose where it's going to be, again, safe. And so n- just like many of the drugs, fentanyl is a drug that's used in the operating room. It does make its way to the street and it's used illicitly. Um, but, you know, it also is can be brought back into look at, uh, looking at it as a therapeutic way of being able to help patients in other ways and so back in the 90s they began to recognize again in the military uh, that in the burn unit uh, soldiers who were having debridements when they're burned they have to go through multiple different uh, operations essentially where they're having this excess burned skin taken from their body there were a group of uh, patients that were receiving a drug called propofol. You may be familiar with that, with Michael Jackson. Um, there's a, the other patients were being uh, anesthetized with ketamine and they would come out of these experiences, reliving some of their traumas in the battlefield and being able to process them. And so that began the thought that, wow, these, these guys are having less you know, PTSD long-term, maybe there's something that we can look at here. And so it began a process of where we started to utilize um, uh, many different modes. I mean, you know, I won't go into, into detail of the studies, but essentially utilizing ketamine as a dissociative, you use that term dissociation. This is a dissociative drug, meaning that it allows you to escape the input of your body and so that you're just basically free to roam your unconscious.
0: What is it about this drug particularly that makes it so ethical in treating things like depression, anxiety, mood disorders, suicidal ideations, things of that nature? Because years ago, I started doing research on ketamine and still to this point have not tried it, but I'm incredibly curious about it. Because you go look at research and white papers anywhere from Harvard to beyond, and everything points to this efficacy rate in the high 80s to even 90% rate in, in treating these, these elements. What is it about ketamine that is so much
3: different than all of the other efforts
0: that we've seen in pharmacology?
3: Um, so I'm gonna make a point of being able to answer your question, but I'm gonna ask you to remind me on the back end, integration, integration, integration. So we can talk about that after, because for me, the molecule affects a receptor, but, and it puts us in a state of mind that allows us to see our life through a new lens. We again have to take that information and begin to process that. So to answer your question from a scientific standpoint, even in low doses, what ketamine does is it allows our prefrontal cortex and our hippocampus to no longer communicate. So when we get into the rumination cycles that we do when we're depressed or when we're anxious or when we've experienced trauma, we cannot get out of that loop. Even with suicide, it, it applies to eating disorders with, you know, body dysmorphia where we constantly are in this loop where we can't get unstuck. And you know, ketamine allows us to be able to for just a second set aside the default mode network. I'm not sure if some of your listeners are familiar with that, but that is that loop. And the default mode network will turn off when we undergo a ketamine infusion. And it's allowing us to be able to, number one, sever that rumination loop, allow us to be able to, again, have you know moments of gratitude, have moments to realize that our life is important, that we are interconnected in many different ways. And again, ketamine is in these effects are dose related, and we can get into that if you'd like, but um, that's really what ketamine is is essentially so powerful in. It's being able to stop that rumination cycle just for for that hour. So uh, effectively then what is
0: happening is you're looking at a chemical reaction happening through this being administered intravenously?
3: Uh, So there's several different routes. So intravenously is the way that we do it at Illuma, our our clinic here in Austin. Uh, But there's other ways you can give it intramuscularly. And it's, you know, for bioavailability, the amount of drug that's available to the brain is very high for IV. It's 99 to 100%. But for IM, it might be 93 to 94%. You have, you know, the the benefits of having id is that if a patient has suffered trauma and they're undergoing a reliving or or you know a revisiting of that experience we can turn the infusion down if they're starting to feel uncomfortable or we see that they're moving around or or you know almost trying to get out of the chair you know i am it's in your body and it's you know either having to give another drug to help with that but with iv it's turning it on or turning it off and so that's so, definitely the benefit
0: what well, one of the things i'm very curious about so if you're in this space and, and let's say let's pretend for a moment Ken, i have absolutely no idea anything we've talked about to this point and i'm sure. really not connecting the dots on what ketamine is or does or why it's potent and ethical in in trauma therapy or therapy in general Um, At a a high level, if you were to simplify this in two sentences, what does ketamine do in
3: regards to mental health? Okay. So instead of concentrating on the science, because sometimes you can get confused as to, because ketamine just doesn't act at the NMDA receptor and block that. I mean, there's, we can get into the science of it, but to be completely uh, basic and broad, is it? it allows that patient to be able to escape essentially the rumination that they've been undergoing, the narrative that they live on a daily basis and look at their life through a different lens. And when they come out of that, they're able to sit with a therapist who has experience with ketamine, who can guide them through being able to know what that experience is like, to be able to say, let's look at that experience let's look at how you saw that experience or how you relived that experience to be able to guide them because one of the most important things about ketamine is that it releases something called bdnf brain derived neurotrophic factor so the neurons that we have that are that atrophy they kind of shrivel or shrink like if we think of a tree some of the neurons that are used in those connections they are no longer firing. So ketamine wakes them up. And so we're able to, you know, rewire the brain, so to speak. And so when we begin to think more positively, where we be, are able to relive that experience, and form new memories, so that we can see what our lives are about in a different light. Are you familiar with the term narrative identity? Yeah, I am. So but those for those who are listening, go please feel free. No, I mean, I think that, you know, memory is so important. And I think that anybody out there who has lived a life of, you know, multiple different traumas, or like you said, where they've experienced dissociation to be able to deal with that trauma, um, knowing that ketamine can be an essential part in breaking the narrative of any individual um, is important to know. And what I mean by that is that experience in anyone's life can form your story. So just like you asked me, if you ask anybody, tell me about yourself. If someone starts off with you know, the, the pain that they're suffering from, the 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 that it's inescapable and that they're unable to function in their life that that becomes their narrative and it can affect everything from their mentation to their to their somatic response to those to those you know thoughts and so when i say narrative it becomes who they are um and and to the core feeling like a broken person
0: yeah and 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 i would have to think like part of this is also a reclamation of your body. Like yeah. what role does that play because I, I as someone who went through a lot of trauma and dealt with chronic pain for a very long time, one of the things that I noticed in, in sync was as my mental health got better, my physical pain started to reduce. And it's not that I still don't have physical pain. I have to deal with having you know um, a chronic health issue. but what, what role does ketamine play in, in that?
3: I believe that, like you said, you've noticed that in the work that you do, that those those physical symptoms begin to, are are beginning to alleviate. I believe that when we suffer trauma or when we suffer long-term depression and anxiety, it begins to manifest as physical symptoms if we do not face it or we do not deal with it. I call it whack-a-mole. I mean, it happened to me in my life where, you know, my chronic anxiety turned to, uh panic attacks had no idea why they were coming but it's my brain forcing myself to say you know i can't control my heart rate i become out of control and you know if you're an anxious person that's what we deal with we want to be in control of our lives and if we don't face our real true emotions the core the core wound i believe that we're it will manifest as chronic back pain chronic neck pain shoulder pain fibromyalgia, um, and dysautonomia. I don't know if people are familiar out there where you get dizzy spells. We see all of these things in, in the clinic where patients come in and they've gone through a battery of tests with multiple different physicians where they see that they have no way of, or, or no answer to their physical symptoms, but they really aren't addressing their, their, their psychological issues
0: yeah i mean i I literally could not agree with you more and that was my experience too because i had this moment where i noticed i was having four to five panic attacks a day and and the thing that dawned on me in that moment ken was wow, you have some shit you need to work on because this is your body and your mind trying to expel the chaos that you're consuming. And, you know, for me speaking as a man, it was just like, push it down, push it down, push it down. And eventually, eventually you can't push it down anymore. It is a boiling pot ready to explode. Um, And then it kind of just destroyed my life for a while because I had to pause and go, what is really happening? Um, what is the long-term efficacy of, of ketamine here? Because what I'm what I'm concerned about in, in the context of this conversation, not fully understanding it and realizing it to this point, is how how does it play on the long-term game? Right. Is this an immediate quick fix? Is this something that that works for twenty years down the road? You do one IV and you're good to go. Talk to me a little bit more about the long-term impact of usage. Hey, what's up, my friend? Before we get into today's episode, just want to take a moment of your time and tell you about the 30 day Think Unbroken Small Group Trauma Healing Challenge. What I've done is taken the best of everything that I've learned over the last few years of being a trauma informed coach through my own certification processes, through my own trauma healing journey, and more, and compiled it into the most in depth 30 day challenge that's ever existed in healing trauma. And I want to invite you to it. If you go to HealTraumaCoach.com, there's more information. But as a quick overview, you're going to step into not only learning the baseline of healing through the six principles of healing trauma, but the six pillars of healing trauma through reframing, through creating self-love, through understanding personal boundaries, through creating wants, needs, and interests, through understanding your ACE score and how that impacts you, including the science of trauma. And more, and I created this challenge because I want us to come together as a group and as a community. And one of the things really special about this 30-day small group coaching challenge is not only will you go live with me weekly as we go into the depths of healing trauma, but also you're going to be assigned to anonymous teams where you can remain anonymous and have support and have community. Think of it like a digital support group, but you don't have to show your face or say your name. One of the reasons that I did that is because in my own journey, the most powerful moments that I had were within these groups, and I want to give that to you as well. So I invite you to check out HealTraumaCoach.com. The first session starts on April 1st. I'm only allowing a handful of people into this first session. So if you're curious and you want to know more, check out HealTraumaCoach.com. And I will see you in the challenge.
3: So I I think that that's going to be patient dependent, of course, just like anything else. I mean, um, we have patients that come in that are suicidal. And the best thing about ketamine is is that it's been shown to be effective uh, for extinguishing suicidal ideation within 24 hours, you know, within an hour of having an infusion that that idea or that that rumination is gone. So that's one end of the spectrum. We also have the other end of the spectrum, which are high functioning, which I call high functioning individuals who are suffering from, you know, perfectionism. Uh, they, they have this uh, just unwielding need to succeed, and that is keeping them up. They, they have terrible sleep patterns. They You know, are trying to use Adderall to be highly effective in their lives and then using Ambien or something else at night and they're just completely out of sync. So what that spectrum looks like is that we have to have a care plan for each individual and and have it carried out effectively for each person. And what that may look like is that for someone who's suicidal, that we require that they have a psychiatrist, that they have a therapist, that they're seeing, if not, you know, especially in that, if they're suicidal on a daily basis initially. And then eventually, when we start to get out from a month after they finish, let's say six, which is what we do at, at, at the clinic, is two infusions a week for two weeks, and then one infusion a week for another two weeks. And that is just the beginning sometimes for those patients where they're, they've broken the cycle. They've broken that rumination and now they're doing the deep work where they may be undergoing ketamine assisted psychotherapy using an oral form. Um, there's also a nasal spray form. Um, so that looks very different than the high functioning who suddenly maybe sees in the middle, maybe the third infusion, aha, I see what I'm doing to myself. As they're finishing their series, they're like, I have such an appreciation for where I am. I have this renewed love for my family. I've noticed that I have broken relationships because of my need to succeed and to be this perfectionist and have this materialistic uh, uh, drive. They will, again, have a very much uh, more changing diet, using yoga, meditation, um, uh, integrated practices that are more self-provided uh, and and that not you know not that the person that is suicidal may not get there but they need a very they need a slower progression through this process that maybe a year to you know the way we even begin to think of changing other things to talk to them about you know coming down off of medications because I'm not sure, if, you know, how in depth you've talked about SSRIs and what this country is, uh, how how difficult it is for patients to get off of those drugs. Um, ketamine uh, can help that.
0: Yeah, help I, that. you know, I I don't typically go that route because for me, I had just an incredibly awful experience when I was trying pharmacology in my mid twenties, um, and and it felt to me like to numb myself would defeat the purpose of trying to put myself in a position to become mentally astute and healthy. Um, and, and it's something that I'm constantly curious about, reading research, trying to understand it. Um, I just found for me, it wasn't the right fit, whereas other, um, other things were non-traditional, you know, from LSD to psilocybin's really played a beautiful role in my healing journey. In, in regard to ketamine, one of the things that I'm immediately curious about,
3: does it in any way inhibit the release of cortisol Uh, no not that i know of i mean it it has a cascade of a hundred different things it mainly is it's the it's an antagonist at the nmda receptor which creates a flood of glutamate into the brain and not many people know because we hear of serotonin norepinephrine dopamine some of the other neurotransmitters but glutamate is really the workhorse in our prefrontal cortex of forming memory, and that's why it's so important um, because it can reform memory. We can rewire our brains because we have the ability. Our, our brains are fraught with with. Uh, I mean, being able to process memories is, is different for everybody. And like you said, with dissociation, it, our brains shut off, and so those memories will be very different from person to person, even experiencing the same. Um, traumatic experience. We've seen that in science. And so um, again, I, uh, you know, be, I am also a believer as you are with psychedelic medicine. I mean, ketamine is a psychotropic. I, I, I'm excited to see psilocybin and MDA uh, be, you know, researched as it is being now. And, and I think that it's, it's the future of mental health, you yeah. know, as far as care. I, I agree with you. And, and it just makes more sense. Um,
0: yeah. Why, and which brings this point, you know, and looking at the prescription drug epidemic in this country, I mean, it's taken multiple mem- members of my family, including my mother, um, who was addicted to SSRIs, could not get off. And then, you know, that, that story goes and goes and goes. But looking at the impact that it has across this nation, and, and yet we have these for the most part, natural occurring substances in, in the environment in which we live and, and them being cast a shadow because they can't be controlled by pharmaceutical companies. Now, this is not to go on a tangent about conspiracy therapies, you know, and, and Eli Lilly and things of that nature. Sure. Why, to make a point, why is ketamine not more readily available as an instantaneous treatment in, in these scenarios?
3: Well, it is first of all because it's a Schedule Three drug, and it can be used as an off-label, um, you know, for, for what we're doing. So there's nothing illegal about it, and it's not underground, obviously. It is the one psychotropic, you know, that we have that can produce these experiences that are similar to psilocybin, similar to um, LSD, that allow patients to again experience their their subconscious. I truly think that the difference between ketamine and those compounds that you talked about are that ketamine allows you to experience these things subconsciously, like in a dream state. And it allows your brain to process them the way that our brains are allowed to take in the information. And so oftentimes when I wake up after an infusion, I I just feel light and less triggered. And um, I mean, it's a freeing feeling. And so, you know, It's again, the further out that I get, you know, we've we've been open for two years and I've been receiving ketamine infusions probably about every eight weeks from my initial series. And it is always a reprogramming, it's it's a reset. And uh, I really feel like right now, utilizing something that like ketamine, which is not covered by insurance uh, companies because we don't have the ability to go and do the large studies with ketamine, it's an old drug. And like you said, we don't need to get into conspiracy theories about that, but there's a reason why J&J was able to twist the, the drug on its axis and then come out with Spravato, which is ketamine in a, a different state. And so you can go to your psychiatrist, ask for Spravato, it's covered under your insurance company, but it still ends up being hundreds of dollars uh, per visit. And it's not as effective. It's not as strong. um, And it seems to have fallen off the edge of the table there for, for the effectiveness of the treatment. And so, um, you know, like you, we, the the crazy thing is that right now we're looking at 80% of the companies that were in the development and research of mental health medications no longer are putting that money into it because I believe they know what is coming, and what's coming is is the psychedelic movement. Yeah, I, and and
0: Portland just legalized pretty much most um, right. most psychedelics, and you know that's going to roll out, and eventually, like we have um, cannabis stores, we will have psilocybin stores, and right. you know I, I I think about the impact that that's had in my own life you know, doing these almost heroic doses of psilocybin, having these associative memories placed in the boxes that they need to go, thus removing them from my shoulders feels very much similar to the experience that I think one may have with ketamine.
3: Yeah, well, and and I think you're right. And I think that what's important to remember is that um, ketamine, when we provide it IV, we have someone in the room with the patient at all time, they're in a recliner, they have an eye mask on, they have a noise, you know, binaural beats or, or just noise canceling um, uh, music. Um, and they're monitored the entire time heart rate, you know, blood pressure, uh, pulse oximetry, which is oxygenation. And so patients feel safe. And this experience is going to spill over. Um, eventually, when we have psilocybin, and um, uh, MDMA at our disposals for clinical use, we're, we're going to have to coddle it and utilize it in a clinical way, which, again, I, I'm like you, I've experienced many different psychedelics. And in those states, it's more of a of a feeling with friends or outdoors, or it feels more shamanistic and ceremonial than in a clinical setting. And so I would say that in our, in our clinic, we try to provide that That space for each patient to be able to experience it on their own without any communication, we allow them to be in the state of dissociation and not disturb them. Um, That's for mental health providers who are familiar with it, because in low doses you can do some fantastic work, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. um, But it takes a psychotherapist to be able to do that, or someone who is is trained to be able to provide that service.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think about my my own experience in, in psychedelics. The 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 most impact I believe that they ever had was when I was in a, a sensory deprivation tank, floating yeah. by myself for like four to six hours, yeah, and just having these deep dives into my subconscious and and looking at all of these memories. It was literally like the Matrix that time, where I was like diving into these moments reframing them, reprocessing them, getting where they needed to go, and then coming out and then having these conversations with with my then therapist about the impact of it. One, one of the things as we start to wrap up here is you mentioned integration. and, yeah. and I, I believe that is without question one of the most important things that you can do in any healing journey when it comes to to mental health elements. What does that mean in the context of ketamine? Uh,
3: what I What I believe is that it has to be, again, individualized to the patient. If it's trauma, as you know, EMDR combined with ketamine, especially if they can go to their EMDR therapist within 24 hours, fantastic work. We see huge, huge uh, uh, benefits and results um, in patients who are plugged in to, to those therapists ahead of time. Um, but it's, it's really, we have also another, you know, we're in COVID and so we've touched... Um, and reached out to a company called Being True to You. And they have uh, ketamine assisted psychotherapists who can provide that therapy, uh, just telemed or, you know, Zoom calls and to be able to help those patients be able to work through um, and get their integration that way, uh, which I think has been very beneficial for us because it provides something that, you know, we don't have a lot of those providers available here in Austin. And so being able to do it remotely at, at, you know, again, immediately after having an infusion has been very beneficial. Um, So for other patients, I think it's anything from gardening to journaling if, you know, writing is amazing as far as being able to spill your thoughts out onto a page, you know, and seeing what your progression is because your thought process has changed over periods of time. And to be able to go back and read where those where you were, there's a sense of, of gratitude of being able to know that I've made, you know, tremendous progress. You know, I've yeah. talked to patients, uh, one, one more uh, thing is that I've talked to patients that feel like a month out or two months out that they feel as though they're slipping or that they're that they're you know feeling like they're going back and and i say well go back and and think revisit those that place that you were when you first came into the clinic and right now you don't have ketamine in your system because an infusion the infusion is gone and we can you know utilize something called a lozenge or a troche, and it's a smaller dose that somebody, that a patient can be prescribed when we're trying to help them through the most difficult aspects of, say, you know, depression or anxiety at post infusion, where they're doing the work, and they are maybe the next day feeling such the difference, and Ket- there's no ketamine in their bodies. It's not like an SSRI where it's long acting and it's changing your brain ar- architecture for the worst. It's actually reforming uh, those neuro- neural connections so that uh, to remind patients that that's the difference because patients that come to us with SSRIs, they're automatically thinking that it's related to the drug and negatively. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and I, I think that's such a valid point. I'm glad you brought that up because it and again, it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't step into asking you about the the power of gratitude in your life. One, yeah. I I see the the poster behind yeah. you, uh, yeah. but but also you've mentioned gratitude in your own life a, a few times and. I'm a proponent, sign me up. I think it's so incredibly necessary. Even if your life isn't as great as you think it is, I believe that there's still always
3: something to be thankful for. Um, yeah. What role does that play in your life? Uh, it's it's a, I wake up and I have a practice of reading. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, uh, the Daily Stoic or Stoicism or Ryan Holiday. He he wrote a, a great book and it's uh, broken down into 365 quotes essentially of all of the great stoic philosophers and that's where i start because it it's it really it's an empowering way to put a positivity in your life right out of bed and i start with you know my health and then i go to my family i have two sons i have a wonderful partner in life and in my business and she is just an absolute uh godsend to me because i know that when I'm struggling, she is my, my pillar. And, and I, I just have such gratitude for someone else in my life that shares the same philosophy. And that is, you know, and I teach my sons every time that we sit down to have dinner. That's part of it. everybody has to go around and talk about what they're thankful for in that day. And, and, you know, I think that that's, that's where, that's where, where, where we need to sit at least temporarily because when you know as you know with the stoics we can only control what we think and how we feel and no one else is going to be able to take that from me
0: yeah i i love that i mean i I resonate with that in such a a real intrinsic way uh ken this has been absolutely amazing conversation um before i ask you my
3: last question tell everybody where they can find you so um, the clinic is Illuma, it's two L's and two M. so it's I-L-L-U-M-M-A dot com or at Illuma uh, on Instagram. So we have lots of uh, great quotes and, and explanations. They can go to our website, which is uh, filled with uh, articles and studies on uh, information as to how uh, ketamine works, how an infusion looks like, goes into much more detail. Uh, and, uh, you know, we answer every, every question, every reach out, uh, whether they're in Austin or if they're, you know, in another country, because, uh, um, you know, we're a believer in, in the grassroots explanation and and development of, of these therapies.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And Ken, my, my last question for you is what does it mean to you to be
3: unbroken? I believe that unbroken to me is resilience. It's, it's standing in a place where you know that you've been through absolute hell. Your armor may be battered, but you're standing tall. Your, your sword is sheathed, not unsheathed, and you're ready to face the day because you, you've been through everything and you're ready for life.
0: Man, that's, that's beautiful. Literally have goosebumps if you could see them. I, I love that. I resonate again. Ken, amazing conversation. Unbroken Nation, please check out Aluma. Follow, like, subscribe, leave a comment and a review. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for hanging out today with the Michael Unbroken podcast. Before we head off, do me a favor, please hit that like or subscribe button. Leave a comment or review and tell a friend would mean the world to me. And just so you know, I read every single review. I listen to your questions. And if you need to, you can reach out to me directly anywhere on social media at Michael Unbroken or email me directly to Michael at thinkunbroken.com. Remember, my friend, though trauma may be our foundation, it is not our future. Until next time, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone.